Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. And we're live. Hello. How are you? Oh, you know, just fighting for my life at 8.30 on a Friday night. (laughs) Because I'm an old lady now. Yeah, I'm tired too, man. It's It's been a week. Usually, a lot has happened this week. Yeah, usually I don't have any trouble staying awake late. I'm, I'm usually a night owl, but the past couple of days I've been one sleepy lady. I guess that's a good thing. I, I right? guess. You, you like actually go to sleep at the yeah. right time. I'm not weak. No. <laughs> well, actually I am today <laughs> and yesterday, but that's probably yeah. good for me. Coming back to so many things have happened this week, like we had a heat wave. Oh yeah, the electric grid almost shut down. That's probably why I'm sleepy, is because it's so hot. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's the key to good sleep is to just like boil yourself. Boil. Yeah. (laughs) Or and then the queen died. Oh yeah. That's just a lot happening this week. Like a historic figure. I mean, she's been the queen of England longer than both of us have been alive combined. Yeah. It's kind of insane. Yeah, I saw someone break down on TikTok like how many things she was alive for and it was really mind blowing. Like Yeah. I mean I'm I don't know all the specifics, but she's been she's been around for a long, long time. Yeah. Insane. But Well, rip. RIP. I have a little bit of true crime news if you want to hear about that before we jump into part two. Yeah, what's up? Okay, so this really Crazy thing happened in Houston, Texas. I don't know if you know, but there's like a thing that's been happening that people believe has to do with human trafficking and like kidnapping. So let's say you're a woman shopping in a store and you come outside to your car and there's like something on your car, like a like a piece of paper or just something weird. Like there's something is out of place or rather something is there. Um, and people think that that's either like a marker that kidnappers use to be like, okay, yeah, we're going to take her or it's like a thing to distract you so that they can drive up and like snatch you into their car. But so this is, this is a thing that's been going on for a while, but something happened that like really amped it up to a very scary level. So a woman in Texas was rushed to the hospital after touching a poisoned napkin that was placed on the door handle of her car. So Erin Mins was celebrating her birthday at a Northside Houston restaurant with her husband. And according to a video she posted online, when she and her husband were leaving the restaurant, she noticed a napkin that was stuffed inside her car door handle. And she said she just picked it up with her fingernails. So she didn't actually touch the napkin, but she then opened the door handle with her fingertips And when she asked her husband if he had jokingly put the napkin on the door handle, he said he didn't. So she immediately washed her hands. Um, And then like maybe two minutes later, her fingertips started tingling. Then five minutes later, her whole arm started tingling, which then led to her arms feeling numb, followed by lightheaded feelings and trouble breathing. So they immediately rushed her to the emergency room. And after six hours of testing... A doctor did confirm that she had acute poisoning from an unknown substance 
and they didn't have enough of that substance in her system to determine what it was, but someone put a poisoned napkin on her door handle, which is a very scary thing because if she were alone and she just tossed the napkin and didn't think anything of it, she could have been completely like kidnapped if she was poisoned, you know, like, it, like I guess roofied poisoned. is what I'm thinking of. Like Wait, if they're trying to knock her out she... and then just take her into a car, that's so scary. Yeah, absolutely. But it absorbed through her fingertips. Yeah. That quickly, like minutes. What does that? I don't know. They don't know what it is. But anyway, I wanted to bring attention to this because I have heard of, you know, people leaving napkins or things on people's cars or someone being followed around, I don't know, like Target, you know, like people, it's really scary to be a woman in the world today. And the fact that this is now escalated to like actual poisoning, I just wanted people to be aware that like that is a possibility not to like walk around the world all day, every day in fear, but just something to be aware of because this is a very real thing. And I couldn't believe it when I heard it, but it, it happened. Yeah, that's insane. I, I, I'm still trying to, like, wrap my mind around, like, she touched it, and then that happened. Yeah. All she had to do was touch it. I mean, it it's must insane. have been a very strong drug to be processed in your I body mean, in, a min- yeah. in a matter of minutes. From the skin? Yeah. I don't Like, I don't know what else is absorbed that way, but... Yeah, so just be very aware of your surroundings. If you have a weird feeling when you're in a store or you see a really big truck parked next to your car too close or you just have any kind of weird off feeling at all, it's not weird to go up to someone and be like, hey, can you walk me out to my car? And by someone, I mean an employee of the store, not some random person. But you know what I mean. Don't feel weird asking for support or help or just being generally aware of your surroundings because it's scary out there. Mm. But anyway, shall we get into part two? Sure. Okay. So let's talk about where we left off. Quote-unquote friend of the family, John Esposito took Katie beers for her birthday with the promise of going to the giant arcade called Spaceplex, but instead he locked her in an underground bunker that he built himself, which we know, but we're giving a general overview of part one. So as part one ended, we talked about how police were just starting to shift their investigation fully into John Esposito. Dominic Verone, the head of the Long Island Police Kidnapping Division, had looked into Katie's family. However, all of them had an alibi and no evidence had been found in their homes. But, of course, throughout all the media coverage of the search for Katie, Linda and Sal were there like flies on shit. Camera crews had gone into Linda's home to interview the two of them, and they showed Katie's room on the news. It was all done up with 101 Dalmatians bedding, stuffed animals, dolls, polka dot curtains. It looked like a perfect, innocent young girl's childhood bedroom, but it was all fake. They had completely redone Katie's room to look like whatever child lived there was very loved. But Katie, who was watching along and following the news down in the hole, knew that that wasn't her room at all. Isn't that insane? They literally redid her bedroom. I mean, of course they did. I I mean, these people are such pieces of shit. I know, but, like, that's such a new low. Like, I mean, no, it's not. I guess that's, like, the least terrible thing they've done to her. But, like, are you joking? Yeah. I mean, like, why? 
why let them in and like show that i don't get it they're just trying to show that they're like the distraught parents of their they're kidnapped. not the parents though. well i know but linda refers to katie as her daughter so well she's quite the mother isn't she she's not is the thing she's not katie's mother you so know. yeah um, so in these interviews with the news, Sal sat on Katie's done up bed while being interviewed, talking about how much they loved her and they wanted her back safe and sound. And Linda repeatedly played Katie's Katie's favorite song to reporters, which was Disney's A Whole New World, which, of course, is very ironic because I'm sure while Katie listened to that song, she was imagining a whole new world away from the daily abuse that she suffered at their hands. But they put on this elaborate show for the media, all while chain-smoking cigarettes, because they are a real class act. It just goes to show you how manipulative Linda and Sal really were, because I'm sure they were worried about Katie, but I think that they wanted her back for just selfish and disgusting reasons, not because they actually cared about her well-being. And that is very evident from all the information we've learned in part one. Their past behavior doesn't match, does it? No, it does not. But although Linda and Sal were actually vomit-inducing, they had been cleared for the most part in Katie's actual kidnapping, which led investigators to their main suspect, John Esposito. Their investigation started by police retracing John's footsteps based on his story, but there was about 30 minutes to one hour that they couldn't account for. So police did a background check on John and interrogated him for 18 hours, which is when it came out that John had never actually been a part of the Big Brothers organization that he claimed to be in to get close to children in the community. So this is when it starts to all fall apart. Yeah, they're starting like to learn really. who John really is. So not only was he never a part of the organization, but he attempted to join the organization, but was rejected when they found out that he had previously been arrested 15 years earlier when he attempted to abduct a seven-year-old boy at a local shopping mall. Yeah. Did he uh, get time for that? He did not get time for that. He had gotten a plea deal and was given a lesser charge of a misdemeanor. And the details of that case were actually sealed. So I don't actually have very clear information on that kidnapping. But it is known that John was arrested for the attempted kidnapping of another seven-year-old or another small child. Okay. So you get a plea deal with no jail time? Yeah. For attempting to kidnap a child? Yeah. I mean, maybe he was... You know, maybe he was just having a bad day. I mean, it, it's know? just, it's so creepy because it was like 15 years earlier. So it's just like that was just brewing for so long, you know, like God only knows what he got away with in the, in those 15 years. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, he built a bunker. Yeah. I mean, he's got away with so much stuff, but it's just amazing to me that you can do that and then take a plea deal with no jail time and no felony yeah misdemeanor. that's insane i know what can, i mean i don't know what the conditions were there because the, the case was sealed but that's but I mean, they found we out need to know more yeah i mean this was definitely like starting to really stack up against john he was already looking really bad but he's just looking worse you know 
But although the Big Brothers organization rejected John, that didn't stop him from using the name to his advantage. He had posted flyers around the area that said, quote, I am a Long Island Big Brother. I am doing it on the side. If you have a son who you think needs a man influence, I may be able to volunteer my time. Every boy needs a man in his life, a person of good character who he can trust and respect. I have been a big brother for over 10 years. I have character references. Signed, J.E. Oh my god. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you just gotta ask yourself. There's a single man in his 30s? 40s. 40s. A single man in his 40s who wants to hang out with your kid. Yeah. What's what's that about? And also, all of the like video games and things that he's planning on doing with your young son is in his bedroom yeah like his gross no start, sheets on the bed bedroom yeah you gotta start asking some questions a lot of them many questions we also know that katie wasn't supposed to be around big john according to Marilyn, because katie's older brother had told Marilyn that big john had molested him so someone directly related to katie was already like hurt by Big John. So this is also very telling. And side note, Katie's Aunt Linda had known about this and still allowed Katie to be around John. Katie had also told Linda about Sal sexually abusing her, but Linda told Katie that she was a liar and they were good men. And I just wanted to like throw that in there because I didn't mention that Katie actually told Linda about Sal's abuse in part one. But she was very aware and basically helped him do it. Oh my god. Because... This disgusting pig of a woman. I mean, they're they're both just revolting humans. Because remember, we talked about in part one when Katie was living with Linda and Sal and Marilyn and Marilyn's mother. She was supposed to be sharing a bed with Linda, but... Linda would lock her out of the bedroom every single night, and then Katie would have to go sleep in the living room, which is where Sal would go and find her. So Linda, knowing this was happening, didn't care and still locked her out of the room. I mean, not that she would do any differently because she's married to the man and clearly didn't give a single shit, but, like, she was pretty much helping him. Yeah, I was just about to say, it's also weird that they don't sleep together. And they're married, but Telling. I feel like this is the wrong thing to focus on well, yet again. Yeah, maybe, but also isn't that kind of telling that just this weird. married couple is not living or is not they're, sleeping in the same room in, in like this very crowded house? Yeah, they're not sleeping together. And then the wife is supposedly sleeping with a child that's not hers. And so was he. He was sleeping with well, little John. Oh. Remember? Yeah, this is... uh... It's all weird. It's all weird. It's all gross. I don't... I mean, I have no no account from Little John that that Sal ever, like, hurt him in any way, but it's still gross. Yeah. I mean, he beat up the grandma. He beat up everyone. So, yeah, yeah, I'm sure he abused him. Probably, yeah. yeah. Maybe not sexually, but definitely physically. Anyway, this... 18-hour investigation was when John Esposito told them the story about Katie, how he picked her up, bought her a gift, brought her to Spaceplex, and then she disappeared. 
Investigators had seen surveillance video of Katie in the 7-Eleven shortly before they went to John's house, where she left behind her pocketbook at his house. So they knew Katie had been to John's house, but didn't have any proof that she ever made it to Spaceplex. And the fact that Katie left behind her purse was also very odd to investigators and FBI behavioral analysts because they felt that a girl from a rough upbringing who had her own change in her own bag would not leave the room without it. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they were like, this is very strange. We have absolutely no proof that she was ever at Spaceplex, but we do have proof that she was at your house in your room. So explain that one. Yeah, start drafting that warrant, please. They did, and we will get to that. But the FBI had also concluded the phone call to Linda's answering machine was actually a tape recording due to the lack of background noise in the tape. They also knew that the call had come from a phone booth at a gas station near the Spaceplex. So if Katie had actually called from that phone booth, there would have been the hum of cars zipping past, but the call sounded as if it had been in a soundproof booth, which it essentially was, because the room was soundproofed that she was in. Another extremely telling piece of information about this call was the person calling had attempted to call Linda 19 times before actually leaving the message. So if Katie was the one to make this call and she was actually running from a kidnapper with a knife, she would have left the message on the first try. She would not have called Linda 19 times before actually leaving the message. Yeah, that's insane. So he called 19 times. What an idiot. Yeah. Before he left the message, he called 19 times. Yeah, well, I mean, this is... I mean, this is all lining up there. This is like, now we go to his house. Yeah, so it is very safe to say that police fully believed that John Esposito was their man. But there was an issue because police had searched John's home and and the converted garage out back where John actually lived multiple times, and they found no sign of Katie anywhere. So investigators had to figure out their next move because they knew they were going to get a call from John's attorney soon and they wouldn't be able to talk to him alone. So Dominic asked John what he thought happened to Katie. And John's response to that question was something dirty, Mm -hmm. which of course is insanely weird to say. But Dominic kept going and said, well, she called Linda, does she have your telephone number? And since he wanted to show that Katie trusted him, he said, yeah, Katie knows my telephone number. She always calls me and I call her. So Dominic then said, if Katie managed to get to a phone again, do you think she might call you? And John, who had completely walked into this trap, said, yeah, maybe. So because of that exchange, Dominic said, well, then we have to set up a recorder on your phone because she may call and we would want to trace that. So not only did John agree to letting them tap his phone, but he basically let them set up shop in his home and use it as kind of like a base. Wait, he let the cops into his home? Yes. So they had a warrant. Yes. So they had a warrant. They searched his house up and down. And they knew that the lawyers were going to like be like, okay, you got to get out of here. So Dominic essentially tricked John 
and was like, you think Katie could call here? And John was like, oh yeah, maybe. Me and Katie are good friends. And Dominic was like, sick, then we have to set up here. And so, and then John feeling like if he said no to this, that he was going to seem really suspicious was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So then the police had to set up in John's home. But this is still kind of insane that they are literally set up in his home and are probably just feet away from where Katie is. Yeah. And they still can't find her. Yes. There was no sign. I mean, her, her purse was in his room, so they knew that she had been to his house. But other than that, there was absolutely no sign of Katie. So on John's property, there was a front house that was, you know, the main house. And then there was a back garage, which is where John actually lived, where his bedroom was and where Katie was buried underneath in the bunker. So the police were literally standing on top of where Katie was buried. They also followed John pretty much everywhere he went. They kept surveillance of him almost at all times. They had detectives deployed on various sides of the block in case he went through the woods. They followed him in their cars. And John was obviously freaking out that police were standing above Katie, so he got his lawyers to tell police that they had to move their setup into the main house instead of being in John's back garage because they were making him anxious, this is what he told his lawyers, and they, and they needed to give him some space. So they had to move into the main house. And kind of a side note, but something weird that happened, a few days after Katie vanished, Marilyn had a psychic drive her around Suffolk County, and they stopped in front of John Esposito's house, and the psychic told Marilyn in front of his house that she got a feeling Katie was in the dark, that she was underground, but she is all right. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is wild. Yeah. They stopped in front of John's house, and the psychic was like, she's underground in the dark, but she's all right. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking is, is she okay right now? Like, she does she have food and water? I mean, how long has she been there without John coming down and giving her anything to eat or drink? So John was very preoccupied during the day, but he would come down like once a day at night. So when While the, the cops were there? Yeah, I mean, they were in the front house and he lived in the back garage. So to access Katie... Wait, wait, wait. Did he live in the back garage before that? Yeah, he. that's like where his setup was. Dude. His bedroom was there, his whatever. What the fuck? So he has a whole house. Well, I think it's like his family's house. I think he might still like live with other people. So other he... people live there? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm assuming that I'm assuming that like his mom lives in the house, the front house, and he lives in the garage, kind of like a 40 year old, like I was going to say freak, which sounded harsh, but I think we can be a little harsh considering it's John Esposito. But um, yeah, so he lived in the back garage, which is where Katie was like, that's where the access point was to get underground to, you know, get to Katie. So she was literally underneath the garage. Yeah, I was just very confused about the living situation because if he owns the house, why in the fuck is he living in the back garage? I think I'm and assuming then, it's a family house. Uh, if it's a family house, then all of these children 
were probably molested while somebody was like feet away very possible and she was kidnapped and put in a basement while people were that close it's just very possible either case is nuts to me well yeah i mean he had like direct neighbors there were there were people around all the time so yes i'm sorry i should have laid out that he was in the back garage much earlier but yes so he lives in the garage katie is underneath the garage the police are set up in the front house yeah this is not surprising he lives in the garage yeah, so he would, to answer your question, was Katie being fed and given water? The answer is yes. He would come down into, you know, the hole, this like bunker that he built every single day, usually late at night, and he would give her food that he prepared, which, like I talked about in part one, she wouldn't eat because she was scared that he poisoned it. So she would only eat like prepackaged things like, you know, candy or chips or things like that or drinks that were sealed so she was eating and drinking but you know once a day i mean the cops are right there they're in the main house we're gonna talk about that so let's let's keep going so this psychic was like yeah she's underground but she's all right but meanwhile underground although katie was alive she was far from all right But she could see that the police were standing above her. There was an absolute media circus surrounding this case, and news vans were camped out in front of John's house, so she definitely saw the news coverage. But also, there was another small TV in the first room where she could see a live feed of outside of John's house, kind of like a surveillance camera. So when the police first came into John's garage, Katie saw them and screamed and screamed and screamed as loud as she could, hoping they would hear her, but they couldn't see or hear her. It's actually insane because John later said that he could hear Katie very faintly screaming as the police were in the garage, but he was able to talk over it and make it so they didn't hear her. But it was like the faintest scream. Like if you weren't listening for the faintest scream, you wouldn't have heard it. And that's why the police didn't. She was so close. But yeah, I mean, if he really soundproofed it, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be looking for it. No. And also focused on him. Yeah. I mean, the tiny, tiny little coffin shaped room that she was in was completely soundproofed. But also she was like seven feet or eight feet underground. Yeah. So it was it was a, a losing battle. John also kept a baby monitor down there. That way he could hear Katie and like know what she was doing. But he also was able to switch the settings on the baby monitor to make it so Katie could hear what was going on above. But above they couldn't hear Katie. So she saw and heard the police above her many times. But there wasn't anything she could do to get their attention. I can't imagine how like isolating and like lonely that must have felt to know that they're literally standing feet above you and you can actually see them on a live feed and hear their conversation about you but there's nothing you could do about it yeah everything's one way down it's so defeating yeah the good part about that was katie knew the police were closing in on john and that gave her hope but underground she was still living in hell Down in the hole, Katie suffered through daily sexual abuse, and when John wasn't down there with her, she would be literally chained by her neck to the bed. He tried to handcuff her as well, but her wrists were too small because she was a 10-year-old. 
So even on the tightest setting, the handcuffs would fall off. So he gave up on that. But like we talked about in part one, this box was basically like a sensory deprivation chamber. It was completely dark, soundproofed, and not unlike a coffin. John would chain Katie by her neck to the bed, which meant that most of the time she would have to use the bathroom at the foot of her bed and clean herself up with the blanket that she had. So we talked about this a bit in part one, but the first day that she was down there, she kind of broke out the first door, remember? The the mm-hmm. two by four. So when she had broken into the, the first room, she managed to grab a key off of a shelf that happened to be the key to the chain that John kept around her neck. So during the day when John would be above dealing with the police, Katie would be able to unchain herself so she could move around just a little bit more. But she would like kind of count the chain links that were connected to her neck. That way she knew exactly how much she needed to like rechain herself when John was coming back down. And she realized that she needed to still relieve herself in front of the bed even though there was a toilet down there because if john noticed that she had used the toilet while she was supposed to be chained up then he would know that she could get out of her chain oh my god i mean it's absolutely horrifying but it's the fact that very she smart. put all of that together is incredibly smart it is so unbelievably smart and we're going to talk about like how much more smart she is later on but The fact that she had lived through already so much horror and tragedy is really terrible. And we obviously wish that she never, ever had to deal with any of these things. But it did, in a way, kind of make it so she could survive in this seriously extreme scenario. Because she was already living in survival mode from day one. So... Being put into this box and being chained to the bed and all this stuff, it's horrifying, but she kind of knew how to deal with it in like a really terrible way. Yeah, that's so dark, but true. Yeah. And actually, later on, the police did say like the terrible things that she had to live through before being kidnapped kind of made it so she was able to survive and then later on bounce back from this. So let's look forward to that. But yeah, it's just, I mean, horrifying, disgusting, all the terrible negative things. Above ground, the pressure was really on for John. It had been around 13 days since Katie's disappearance. Police and media were set up in his home and also following him everywhere, like we know, which meant that he couldn't really go down into the hole at all during the day. Which was good for Katie, since she didn't have to deal with him as much, but around this time when John would come down into the hole, he started saying really cryptic things to her that made her wonder if he was going to kill himself, kill her, or just run away. And Katie was starting to get really nervous that each day was going to be the day where something really terrible would happen, because... John was definitely starting to crack, and even Katie could see it. He wanted her to once again play dead so he could take a picture of her, but she refused and begged him to let her go. And she used every tactic she could to get under his skin. She told him she loved him and she wanted him in her life, but she also wanted to be free. 
she also started asking him questions about the future. She asked him where she was going to go to school. He'd say he would teach her whatever she needed to know. She would ask where she would work. He said he could provide for them both. She wanted to know how she would get married and how she would have kids because these were things that she wanted from her future. And he would tell her that she would do those things with him. But Katie told John that she didn't want to have kids with him. And she could tell that statement kind of insulted John. But she told him that she, of course, wanted to have kids with him. But by the time she was ready, he would just be too old, which apparently he seemed to accept like that that was the actual answer for why she didn't want to have kids with him but i mean just think about how insane that is that i mean what the fuck katie was just so insanely smart for doing this because these questions really made john think ahead and see how in over his head he actually was you know like i can't believe that a 10 year old thought like i'm gonna make him think into the future you know what i mean like i don't even know that i would think about that yeah like in a very subtle way she's saying what are you gonna do here yeah like you know that this doesn't end well you can't do this forever yeah how is this gonna turn out like what does the future look like but she still knew that she needed to like appeal to him and make it seem like she loved him So she was saying like, oh, I love you and I still want you in my life and I want to be with you, but I want it to be on the outside. You know, we'll have such a a much better life if I'm free, which is just, I I can't even begin to wrap my brain around how smart that 10-year-old was. Like she was freshly 10, like days from her 10th birthday. Each day, it became more clear that John was cracking, but Katie didn't know exactly how. She continued to ask him questions and nag him about letting her go, but on the flip side, John kept talking about taking his own life. He would try to assure Katie that if he did, he would leave instructions on how to find her pinned to his clothes. But the, but still the idea, but still that idea terrified Katie because even if he did leave instructions, how long would it take someone to find her? Because it was so insanely intricate, like getting down into this hole. So she thought like it would be entirely possible that she would die before anyone would find her. So she knew that she needed a new tactic. So on Tuesday, January 12th, 16 days after she had been kidnapped, Katie told John that she was sick and she needed a doctor. He told her he couldn't take her to the doctor right now, but he also promised her $5,000 that she could spend when he let her go. So he gave her 500 and told her he would give her 500 more every other day until he let her go. So this wasn't like a let's go to the doctor right now, but also you will get out kind of thing. So th- it was all very like unclear as to what John was going to do. It also doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. But John couldn't handle the pressure of the police presence, Katie's questions, and now she was telling him that she was sick. So he was worried that she was going to die because, I mean, the, the conditions down there were terrible. She's literally living in her own filth. So he couldn't take it anymore. The next day, January 13th, John called his twin brother Ronnie and Ronnie's wife Joyce 
and his other sister-in-law, Joan, and asked them all to meet at Sybin and Sybin, which was his lawyer's office. So once they were all there, John told his family and his lawyers, I know where Katie is. They asked if she was alive, and he said yes. But here's the crazy part. Instead of John's lawyers immediately going to the police to have them rescue Katie, they needed to set up their client first. So Katie found out about this later in life, but John's lawyers had a plea deal in the works before Katie had even been rescued from the bunker. And believe it or not, the information that Katie was in the hole underneath John's house got to the media first. They literally were waiting in front of John's house knowing that Katie was underneath it before the cops even knew. So what did they do? Like, what happened? Who was told what, when, and when did they tell the cops? When did they tell the media? How did it get leaked? Someone from the lawyer's office leaked it to the press. I guess they had like a... So it wasn't even the people who were told. No, it was like someone in the office leaked it to the press. And then the press got to the house before the cops even got to the house. I mean, the, the cops showed up pretty soon after that. So, like, they they were told around the same time, but the fact that the press knew before the cops knew is very strange to me and also, like, really gross. The, yeah. So, John's lawyers claim that they had to deal with, you know, lawyer-client confidentiality. Attorney-client yeah, attorney-client privilege, yes. But, so they didn't want to potentially deal with a lawsuit which could potentially end in them being disbarred. Like if, if they broke that privilege then, or if they broke that confidentiality, then that, that leaves them open to being sued. So that was one reason. But they also said that John was in a really fragile state. So they needed to be careful with how they proceeded because John was the only one who knew where Katie was and how to get her out. So they were like, we needed to like be careful with him. But I yeah. think they just wanted to get him a plea deal and like... I mean, I usually would take that angle, but I see where they're coming from. I guess. Like you can't, they can't leak legally. Yeah. So it's got to be the family members or somebody else. You're like, go look here. Or like, somebody told me you got to like do it in a backhanded way. Yeah, I guess. And like... then even if they did know where she was, it sounds like they might not have even been able to get her out. Well, yeah, they definitely needed John to get her out. Yeah. And they, I guess, couldn't break this attorney-client privilege or whatever. But it it was just very weird and icky to me that the press knew before the cops. Absolutely, yeah. Whoever leaked to the press should have just called the cops. That's what I'm saying. Anonymous tip. That's what I'm saying. Whatever. But also, I guess they did need John to get her out because it was like really difficult to open it. So whatever. But yeah, so they worked on a plea deal for John before they worked on actually getting her out. But I guess that's how they got her out was because they needed to be like, okay, you'll get some kind of plea deal if you show us how to get her out. Yeah. Whatever. I'm I'm kind of talking in circles, but it's just such a crazy thing. Yeah. It's really gross that the media knew first. Yeah. So about one in the afternoon that day, Katie heard Big John coming down into the hole. And it was really strange for him to be coming down that early. 
But once the drilling stopped and John stepped down into the box, Katie heard him talking to someone. Her heart was pounding because she heard another man with Big John and she immediately thought that he had brought his friends over to quote-unquote have a good time with her too. The door to the coffin box flew open and John reached his arm in and unlocked the chain around her neck before he moved to the side and Katie could see the two men in suits behind him. Dominic Verone told her it was safe for her to come out now. She didn't believe it at first because she thought Big John was testing her and if she told this man she was kidnapped, Big John would lock her away forever. So even though there are literally police like trying to pull her out of this hole, she's like, I'm fine. I'm not kidnapped because if I say that I am, then I'm never going to get out of here. Isn't that insane? That's so... It's so sad. Yeah. Were they not in uniform? So the police that were down in the hole with her were in suits because they were like, you know, investigators, detectives. But then the people who actually physically pulled her out of the hole were in uniform. So she got the gist once she was actually pulled out. But even then she was like, I don't know that I believe this. This seems fake. Yeah. I mean, she had just been in the... she had to be that skeptical to survive. Definitely. She had to be thinking that complexly. (laughs) What? <laughs> it's kind of funny that the word that she you're confused about is complexly. Her thinking had to be that complex yes. for her to Definitely. I mean, she just survive. spent 17 days in absolute hell. I mean, her whole life, really. But Well, yes, but I mean... As if it couldn't get worse. Hell, like extra hell for 17 days. When she was finally told to climb up the ladder, a uniformed cop pulled her out of the hole and she knew that she was finally free. The cop then took her to the living room where John already was, and she had to answer questions before they took her out of the house. Dude. So they sat her... Why don't you take her to the station, guys? Get her a hot chocolate or something. I mean... For Christ. That's what I'm saying. They literally sat her in the same living room as John and questioned her in front of her abuser and kidnapped her. In front of him? Yes! He was Why in is the he room. still part of this? I don't know. Why is he not in solitary or something? I mean, you fuck this guy. Would think. I mean, Why, what is he doing sitting there? I don't know. Like, what? What is? What? What's the deal? This is the part that like really confuses me. I guess I kind of understand the lawyer thing that we talked about earlier, but this part is what really confuses me because these cops pull a 10-year-old girl out of a hole where she's been in for 17 days and instead of immediately taking her out of the house and bringing her to a place where she could feel some semblance of safety, they plop her in the living room of her abuser in front of him and ask her questions about the abuse that she endured in front of him. How make it make sense? I mean, make it make sense. Yeah, I mean, there's no defending it. So at the time that they were asking her questions in the living room, Katie was obviously still scared, but the cops described her as being bubbly and almost as if she were on her way back from summer camp, which was definitely odd, but it also gave Dominic Verone a really good feeling that Katie was going to get through all of this. But finally, she was put into the cop car and taken away. I guess she I'm, was. I'm sorry. I'm still processing that she was bubbly, I, or were they like lying? Or my what? my idea about her being bubbly 
and like excited to be free at this point instead of like just straight up traumatized. I mean, she's traumatized, but you know what I mean? Like silent and, and cowering. I feel like because she lived such like a life full of abuse that she that she endured literally daily and that was just her norm like she was probably very used to like putting on a fake happy face Mm. you know what i mean that's that's my only thought as to like why or explanation as to why that could have been because she lived in hell and you know then she got extra hell but now she's pulled out and she goes back to the normal of like okay now i gotta fake it yeah, or maybe she's just happy to be out of the bunker. Probably a mixture of both. Yeah. When John showed the police how to get down into the hole that Katie was in, they were absolutely stunned. It was like a 30-step process, and you needed to know exactly how to do it. It was not straightforward at all, and it involved a 200-pound slab of concrete that needed to be like very specifically lifted out of the ground. So it was complex. It was a really scary discovery because if John hadn't showed them exactly how to get Katie out, they never would have found her. Like, never. People were shocked when they saw the diagram of the bunker itself. It showed a seven-foot drop connected to a five-foot horizontal tunnel. And that tunnel was two feet high by 21 inches wide, which then led to a box within a box... And the outer box was six feet wide by six feet high and seven feet long. I don't know if, if we can like follow what I'm saying, but basically what I'm what it really boils down to is that this place was very small. So the box that Katie was kept in most of the time was just two feet wide by three feet high and seven feet long. So it was literally like she was in a coffin the entire time. It's just horrifying is my point. They also showed how involved it was to open it and how intricate the design was to build, which showed the astounding amount of thought that had to go into Katie's kidnapping. This dungeon was compared to Silence of the Lambs, but it was so much worse because in the movie, the girl was in a really deep hole in the ground, but Katie was kept in something with a much higher level of sophistication. And the fact that the police never would have found Katie if John didn't show them exactly how was the main argument for John's lawyers to get him out on bail. They said that police had searched John's house up and down three times and they had not found Katie. So without the help of John Esposito, she'd still be locked up. They also said that his other prior criminal incident occurred 15 years ago. So it was because of his responsibility and compassion and the fact that he didn't flee when he had the chance that shows that he is not a threat to the community or anyone. (laughs) So this is what the lawyers were saying. I mean, I know they got to make the argument, but God, what a stupid thing to say. Yeah. He tried to kidnap a seven-year-old 15 years ago. Let it go, guys. I mean, I mean, guys, it was 15 years ago. It, up. it was one time. Yeah, it was <laughs> one time. Uh, it's never one time. Yeah. So the judge thankfully didn't agree and posted his bail at half a million dollars and no one paid that. So he stayed in jail. However, he was charged with kidnapping in the second degree, 
which would carry a maximum sentence of 25 years, whereas first degree carries a life sentence as the max. And they first went with second degree because John denied to his attorneys that he ever touched Katie. So that's kind of the difference between second degree kidnapping and first degree kidnapping. First degree kidnapping has to do with like torture and like abuse of that nature. And second degree is a lesser of the two. Down at the precinct, Linda was screaming both inside and out that she wanted to see her daughter. However, court attorneys were already drafting court documents for Marilyn to sign seeking temporary custody of Katie. That way, neither of these women would ever lay claim to Katie again. And Marilyn did sign these papers. So after Katie was evaluated at the hospital and had some much-needed sleep, she was told that she would be going to a foster home or a foster family. So she was taken to Southampton, where they pulled up to a house that looked like it was out of a storybook. And inside, she met her new foster parents, Barbara and Ted, who were so kind and so loving, and she met her foster siblings as well. They bought her a Carvel ice cream cake and had presents waiting for her inside since she had been trapped on her actual birthday. So this was just the most perfect setup for Katie. Like it was everything she needed and deserved. Katie was really hesitant to this adjustment, understandably, and was really scared of Ted, her foster father, considering everything. But this was just such a lovely family who really loved Katie. Um, Barbara and Ted actually specifically requested Katie. They knew she had lived such a terrible life up until then, and they really wanted to be the home that she would be put into. So before Katie was even found, they contacted, you know, whatever... Child Protective Services. Yeah, they, they contacted Child Protective Services, and they were like, hey, if this Katie girl is found, we want to be her parents. Wow. And so she was found and she was placed with Barbara and Ted. So Ted was a longtime sheriff's deputy and decorated Vietnam veteran. And Barbara was a homemaker with four other children. And she herself was adopted as a child. So we love that. Isn't that great? Sounds very wholesome. I was, I mean, I'm just always skeptical. I'm like, you know, what would be so horrible is if she just gets put in the wrong foster home. Yeah, I mean, it would have been entirely possible for her to be placed in a really terrible situation again. But thankfully, this loving family was like, yeah, we're going to take her. Yeah. So it was, I I understand the skepticism, but it is very much a beautiful, loving situation. So we love that. Thankful for them. Yes. So a few days after John's bail was posted, he was summoned back to court where it was announced that the grand jury had upgraded the charges he was facing to first-degree kidnapping and six counts of sexual abuse, which meant John was potentially facing life in prison. After John Esposito's arraignment, District Attorney James Catterson thanked the police for their hard work on the case, but then begged the media to back off. He told them how incredible of a little girl Katie was and begged them to stay far, far away from her. That way she had a fighting chance at a normal life from this moment on. She was going to be starting her new school and the last thing she needed was more attention. 
not only did he ask them not to continue with this media circus, but he also said that if they did seek Katie out after that moment, they would essentially be shamed. So he was like, you will be an actual piece of shit if you continue looking for Katie. He was like, we're not going to tell you where she is. We're not going to tell you what her school is. We're not going to tell you shit. And if you look her up, you're a terrible person and you deserve to rot. Yeah. So after today, my faith in humanity is at such a new low. Yeah. You know, I don't expect the press to heed the warning. They actually kind of did. Kind of did. Yeah, they did. There's always like one or two people who are just so shameless. No, they did. They did leave her alone, which is like really great. Well, Um, you know, hey, you know. (laughs) They got the bare minimum. The absolute minimum. Look at us. We're on the ground floor. But after giving this short speech, he held up a huge banner that said, give Katie a chance. And there's this like picture of him holding up this huge thing. So it was it was a really big deal. And they actually did leave her alone, which is incredible. Yeah, thankful. I know. Yeah. It's awesome that he did that. It really is. And I mean, I don't want to give the press too much credit because usually they're kind of crazy with shit like this. But I think they had plenty of other things to keep them occupied, like John Esposito and also Sal and Galeary, because we're going to get into like his charges and court hearings hello can i speak his trial his trial thank you thank you very much see we need to help each other today oh my god it's not thank you the combination will suffice but not on our own yeah so this cop was like give katie a chance but katie's family was not making that easy because linda and sal wanted her back and were doing whatever they could to make that known including going on talk shows like Maury Povich. They went on Maury? Yes, and the Montel Williams show where Linda said, quote-unquote, to me, there is no difference between John Esposito and Marilyn Beers. Somebody needs to smack this bitch. Yeah, I I oh, can support that. that <laughs> I can support that. Somebody does need to smack her. And you know what? I try not to say the word bitch when referring to women. Anymore anymore (laughs) (laughs) but hey what if she's being a bitch answer me that yes point in case can i call her a bitch if she's being a bitch (laughs) this woman she's going on maury yeah i mean i mean only classy acts go on maury povich she should have called up jerry springer you know what i mean so they they literally she's doing like a media tour to try and get her back into an abusive situation yes they're trash and the fact that she compared John Esposito to Marilyn is like, come on. Yeah. You can't compare. I, I know Marilyn is not great either. She was extremely neglectful and let Katie be in a, in a terribly abusive situation. But can we remember that the abusive situation that Marilyn allowed Katie to be in was with you, Linda? It was you. You're the bad place. Yeah. Let's chew on that one. She forgets. Let's chew on that one, Linda. Anyway, Marilyn wanted Katie back as well and tried to attempt winning custody in family court, but ultimately Marilyn knew that Katie was in a better place. She was granted supervised visitation and would see Katie at first three times a week, but then it tapered down to like once a week and then she didn't see Marilyn at all. And this was over the course of like years. 
But this was really helpful for Katie, I think, because at first she was really upset that she wasn't going to get to live with Marilyn and her brother anymore. But once she got adjusted to her new home and saw what normal family life looked like, she started to really love Barbara and Ted. And many of these supervised visits, Marilyn wouldn't even show up. So Katie was like, okay, you don't care about me enough to like have your one supervised visit of the week? Great. Like, you're still a neglectful, like, piece of shit. Yeah. What happened to her brother? Her brother was still around. But, you know, he was kind of just doing his own thing. Was he already 18 at that point? Yeah, he was like an older teenager. As, like, years went on, obviously, he was an older brother. So Katie did kind of keep in touch with him a little bit. But as they got older, she kind of lost touch with him. And she's like, well, he's kind of doing his own thing. Yeah, and I was just imagining him growing up in the same situation while she got this, like, perfect family. Well, she deserved it. I mean, not that he didn't, but you know what I mean. mean. He got got abused, too. Definitely. I'm not saying that he deserved to be in an abusive situation. That's not at all what I'm saying. But he did kind of, he was, like, an older person. Like, he grew up, he was of age, and then he, I think, got into, like, addiction problems he like moved away katie tried to keep in touch with him but also it was really painful for her to like continue to have ties to her old life and it was just like a negative portion of life that she was they 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 lost touch is what i'm trying to say anyway yeah so marilyn did fight in court to get full custody back of katie but she lost that case and people kind of crucified her because they said she allowed katie to be abused by john esposito and sal ingaliri And Marilyn was actually arrested for labor fraud. So this was kind of a whole mess. Like her trying to get custody back of Katie was really kind of a a headache for her. Um, (laughs) Not that, I'm sorry, that's probably the wrong thing to say, but it was. (laughs) It it was. I mean, it was. She ended up getting arrested for something completely unrelated. And the entire world was like, hey, Marilyn, you suck. Well. They're not wrong. So, you know. Sal, who at the time was 41 years old, was facing two counts of sexual abuse in the first degree and two counts of endangering the welfare of a child. However, he probably pled to a misdemeanor. Yeah. So, however, he was offered a generous plea deal of only two and a third to seven years in prison if he admitted to the top count. This deal was intended to keep Katie out of court and having to take the witness stand and relive her trauma. But against the advice of his counsel, he demanded a trial where he stuck to his story that he was innocent and Katie was a liar. So in wow. yeah, so in this trial, Sal no, no 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 wait, so he could have gotten two and a third years. Yeah, two. He could have gotten like just, just under three years, and he was if he took the plea deal. But he was like, no no no, we're gonna go to court. She's a liar because I'm She's a narcissist. Nine. <laughs> literally she was nine i know so in this trial sal got a slew of new allegations he had assaulted katie's grandmother and brother he defrauded helen beers he sexually abused three other children he cheated on his taxes he bashed katie's cat's head against a wall and made her watch so he was he got a lot of other charges thrown at him not the cat Yeah, it was, I mean, I probably should have given a trigger warning for that. But like, yes, he also abused animals. Not that, you know, it's not like you draw the line at animals when you're an actual monster. 
but Katie did have to appear in court to testify, but she answered all the questions asked, and before leaving, she waved the jury on her way out. And this gamble failed miserably for Sal, because he was sent to prison for 4 to 12 years instead of 2 to 7. I know, we're upset with this sentencing, but he did stay in prison for the entire 12 years, okay? Does that make you feel better? No. (laughs) I'm sorry. He raped a child. Well, he, 12 years? Yeah, it's, I mean, I mean, we know. We know and the, the sentencing is sometimes whack, and this is one of those times. Like, also more than one yeah. child? Yeah, he's like um, an actual monster, so. Why is it? Uh, okay, just, so. Come on. For both Sal and John, Katie had never told the police that they had actually raped her. Even though that was the truth, she didn't know at the time that her saying that would have given them a harsher sentence, but in the end, they did get what was coming to them, so it turned out to be fine. But also, Katie said that the police never asked her outright if they had raped her, and she said even as a 10-year-old, if they had specifically asked her that question, she would have said yes, but because they didn't ask, she didn't offer the information because she didn't know. So this whole trial happened without her saying that she was raped? She said they touched me. She said like things like that, but she never said that they had actually like raped her, which is why they got lesser sentences. Oh. Yeah. But let's just keep going because he does get what's coming to him. So Sal did try to get out a few times, when he became eligible for parole, but he never admitted to what he did or took responsibility, so every time he was denied. But when his maximum of 12 years hit, he had to be released. But he never registered as a high-risk sex offender and had to stand trial again for a parole violation, where police said that he had been living with a new girlfriend and her very young kids. I'm just staring. I mean, how many times have I been speechless? I know. But so he was thrown into jail once again where he died. So Sal died in prison. You kind of love to hear it. So John, (laughs) I mean, are we going to let's let's call it not mince words. (laughs) I was going to say let's call a duck a duck, but that's not the that's not the saying. Let's quack a duck. (laughs) If if it quacks like a duck, maybe it's a duck. It dies in prison. It dies in (laughs) prison. That was a good one. You Uh, liked it. I was like, I don't know if this is going to fly, but I'll throw it out there. Yikes. Okay, so John Esposito did take the plea deal presented to him, and he confessed to everything and was found guilty of first-degree kidnapping and was sentenced to 15 years to life. But he, too, died in prison in 2013. So both of them ended up dying in prison. And I didn't know exactly how to fit this in where it made sense, but here's a really crazy bit of information. When Katie was 16 years old, she realized that her kidnapping wasn't the first time that she had ever been in this dungeon. When she was around six or seven, she had actually played in the huge hole in the ground and around a box covered with a blue tarp with other kids in the neighborhood because John had been building this box, okay? So he had been planning on kidnapping Katie since she was six years old. 
She obviously had no idea, but the whole time she played on this box, John knew full well that he was making it specifically for her. Oh my god, that just makes my skin crawl. Yeah, like the years of planning. Four years? Yeah. Like he specifically built and created this like dungeon for her. Watching a six-year-old play around this like hole that you have in your backyard for her. I mean, how dark can it get? Yeah, thank God he died in prison. Yeah, but after all was said and done, Katie did really well. She stayed with Barbara and Ted, who she now refers to as mom and dad. She went through school. She had regular therapy that really helped her. She was on sports teams. She was in theater. She graduated. She went to college. She had a few boyfriends and married an amazing man named Derek, who she has two lovely kids with. She never saw Linda again since the day she was taken out of the hole. She never saw Linda again, which is great. And she did kind of see Marilyn, like I said. Marilyn came to her high school graduation, but Barbara and Ted are very much now her parents, and she rarely ever speaks to Marilyn. And for years, she remained silent about this tragedy, but on the 20th anniversary of her kidnapping, she compiled she compiled her experiences into the book, Buried Memories, Katie Beer's story, which she co-wrote with reporter Carolyn Gusoff. And that is actually where I got the majority of the information from both parts. It's a great book if you're interested in learning more details about this case. I mean, I couldn't fit all of them in. It is obviously a very dark book, but yeah, it's it's Katie's book. So also, Carolyn Gusoff was one of the reporters that was actually like on Katie's case when she was in the hole. So the book is interesting because you get Katie's perspective of her like time in this dungeon and like her obviously her abuse beforehand, but then you also get Carolyn's perspective where she's talking about the media side of it all. So you get kind of both sides of it. It's it's very interesting. Yeah, wow, that's like a really complete book and you were saying that it was really well written too yeah i mean it was great i mean it's very informative there's a lot of information so if you're interested check it out but ever since then katie has also been making public appearances to talk about what she went through and she raises awareness about child abuse because she believes that if she knew what she went through as a child wasn't normal she probably would have spoken up sooner how could she have known? No, she There's couldn't no have. Way. Yeah, she couldn't have known as a child, but that's why she's saying it's so important to her now to talk about child abuse and like go into schools and talk about it because she wants children to know that this is very much not a normal thing. She got her degree in business management and she now works in insurance sales in Pennsylvania. And looking back at her abduction, she says that if it hadn't happened, she wouldn't be where she is now. So she's made her peace with it. She said, quote, my life is exactly where I always wanted. Two parents who love me, siblings who are amazing, and a husband and two kids. And that is where we're going to end the story of Katie Beers. God, that makes me tear up. All she wanted the whole time was just a family. Yeah. That loved her. And she got it. Oh, that's beautiful. It's like such a dark, dark story. But it really does have a happy ending, which we don't always get. So I'm very, very happy to say that it is a happy one. Yeah. Hey, man. She's doing insurance sales. Yeah. She's like, yeah, she's living her whole like dream life. She's got parents, 
siblings, kids, a lovely husband. What more is there? You know? Not much. Yeah. I know. I'm just soaking this in. I just want to, I want to sit here for like a while. Yeah. Take a breath. Everyone, everyone together. After all all that, I, I mean, I think I said something earlier about this, but this just like, when you go through a story like this, and I'm sure researching, it really took a toll on you this time. Yeah, I mean, uh, mentally, how could it it's not? Just, yeah, it's it just makes me despair about humanity. Yeah. So, what a great place to end in. Yeah, it is nice to know that there is a happy ending at the end of that dark, dark tunnel. But yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's much else to say about Katie's story. We talked about it all uh, in two long parts, but. Anyway, why don't we have a palate cleanser? We've we've been in the darkness long enough. What is your good thing? My good thing is that I have figured out a way to practice putting that's very fun to me. So I, I'm a big golfer. I think I've mentioned this, but I'm trying to practice putting like in our living room just as kind of something to like, I don't know, calm down or like take a break from work. Um, and I figured out that if you put my water bottle down it's about the same size as a golf hole and then when you hit it it dings makes because, a fun little ping yeah because <laughs> it's um vacuum sealed so like when you hit it against anything it like reverbs so it's made putting incredibly fun and i understand that this is maybe a stupid little thing but it's it brings me so much joy it's to hear the things. sound. It's the little know? things, baby, you know? So. And actually, I I can say that I had a good time watching you hit the balls across the living room and hit the little water bottle and hear the dings myself. And I wasn't even the one doing it. Although I actually did do it once and I hit it. You're natural. And it said, ping. And I said, so, hell I know. yeah. See, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like the little wins. It was nice. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's fun for you. My good thing is that it's fall. Is it fall? I actually don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's actually like fall. They've started real. selling pumpkin spice at places. But that's what I mean is like now we got pumpkin shit again. And even though it's a heat wave <laughs> and it's been like 105 degrees, I can feel in my bones that it's like time for me to like switch from my summery white wine to my more wintry appropriate red wine so i'm very (laughs) i'm very pleased i bought myself a nice bottle of cabernet i had a glass i will be having another (laughs) and and that's my and that's my good thing we have little pumpkin spice cookies in the cabinet i'm very excited yes it's very nice and with the leaves your wine too will change as fall comes in. <laughs> yes. It's a it's just really a beautiful thing. It is. So like corn. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like to hear the bonus episode that we recently posted, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival that you would like to share with us and hear on an upcoming listener's episode, send it to nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is nottodaypodcast and a Twitter that is nottodaypodcast with a T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.